I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Jude. Jude chapter 1 is our focus today as we begin a brand new series called In Defense of Faith. And you might be surprised to notice when you get into the book of Jude is the fact that Jude is actually just one single chapter. All right. Um, and I would encourage you, read this chapter, and we're going to be parked in this chapter for the next several weeks as we talk about what it means to, um, to contend for our faith, because this is really the challenge that the Apostle Jude is presenting to the believers um, that he was writing to. Um, I've titled today's message, Guardians of Truth, and to kick us off this morning, I want to quickly share um, a little bit of an experience I had when I was back in college. When I decided I was going to choose economics as my major, I had aspirations of one day working in the banking industry. I wanted to be an investment banker. I wanted to one day work in, work in Wall Street, um, you know, be a stockbroker, be a trader, you know, make all these kinds of money and manage billions and billions of dollars and whatnot. I had all these dreams. I had all these plans. Um, and I remember when I, when, you know, when I began to speak with other folks who were already in this industry, some that were already serving in the banking industry specifically, many of them said, you know, get a job in the bank and, you know, learn how to, you know, learn how to operate, you know, the way banks do, you know, handle money and, and how banks function. And so I decided I was going to go get a job at a bank. And so I went to one of the, the local banks, local branches of one of those national chains. And I, I told him, I'm here to apply for a job. And I see that you have a wanted sign for tellers. And so I, I want to learn how to be a teller. I want to do the job. And, and I got rejected. I got rejected. Every single location I went to, they said no. And I was thinking to myself, aren't you need help, right? I want to help. But you're telling me no. And every one of them kept saying to me, you don't have experience. And I'm thinking, hold on. Um, last I checked, there is no school that teaches you how to be a bank teller, right? Unless I was missing something. And how am I supposed to learn how to be a bank teller if I don't get trained at a bank? So it, it made no sense to me that, that, that having to work at a bank, I had to go get experience first to come work at a bank. And, and so I, I, I was left feeling very jaded um, at that point. And of course, it didn't matter because you know, working in a bank was not God's call of my life anyway. But, but still, I mean, I went through that experience wondering to myself, why would you suggest that I have to have experience doing something that you're the one that's supposed to be teaching me how to do? But it, you know, along the way, I, you know, I, I began to think about just that industry and, of course, some of the things that happened within that industry. And, of course, one of the things that I, I was very intrigued with is this issue of how you know, uh, you know, banks, when they, when they hire employees, tend to teach or train their employees on how to handle money, right? Um, and one of the biggest responsibilities that, that those that work in banks have is knowing how to figure out the difference between the real money and the fake money. Um, I've never, at least not to my knowledge, encountered a fake, uh, fake dollar bill, right? Um, but of course, I mean, we live in a society where, you know, again, a consequence of sin, you know, there are people that make the decision that they're going to peddle in that, that kind of trade where they're making counterfeit money and they're using it to, to rip folks off. And so, of course, I began to do some research. And so I went on the Secret Services Counterfeit Division website. And on the website, I saw that they had like a, a list of suggestions of how you can differentiate between a, a fake bill and a genuine bill. And while I'm not going to share all of the, the suggestions or the, all of the ways you can spot them that they listed, I will share with you several that intrigued me. Of course, we all know the tried and true technique of holding the dollar bill up to the light, right? We all, how many of you have ever done that before? 
right? I mean, you hold it. I, there, there was one time I went to the store and, and I, I, gave, I remember I gave the, the, the cashier, I think it was either a 50 or 100, and, and I'm you know, expecting her to just slip it right into the, the cash register and go about, you know, give me my change so I can go about my business. And she holds it to the line and she's looking at it and she takes out a pen and she's marking it. And I'm thinking, does she think I'm carrying around fake, fake bills? And I'm actually starting to get nervous because I'm thinking, I hope this, this money I have is not fake because I, mean, I, I just got it from somewhere else. It's, I didn't make it, you know, but, but you know, we all know, you know, they, they all tell you, you know, you can hold it to the line and typically you, you're supposed to see a hologram that shows an image that's supposed to match the face of the individual on the bill. So for example, a $5 bill has the image of um, Abraham Lincoln. Now, what a lot of counterfeiters would do is if they want to make, take a $5 bill and make it look like a $100 bill, they'll bleach it and they'll alter that bill to look like $100, but what they fail to do is to alter the, the, the hologram. So if you took a $5 bill that was converted to a $100 bill and pulled up to the light, you're going to see the main image is supposed to be Abraham Lincoln. It's supposed to be Abraham Lincoln, right? But they've bleached it to not look like Benjamin Franklin. Well, the hologram shows Abraham Lincoln. So if you see two different faces, that's a fake bill. You better toss it aside, right? That's one way. Another way they tell you is, is to look for what they call color shifting ink. So again, if you hold a new bill, um, $1, um, $2, they skip the $5 for whatever reason, $10, $20, up to $100. If you hold that series um, and you tilt it back and forth, they say that you'll observe that the numeral or the number in the lower right-hand corner, it shifts color from black to green. Go try when you get home. It shifts from black to green. When you, as, you tilt the, as you tilt that bill in the light, you notice that the hologram changes. Another one is they say they have this thing called a security thread that they put on the bills that's embedded running from top to bottom on the face of a banknote so that in a $10 and in a $50 bill, the strip is located to the right of the portrait, but then in the $520 and the $100 bill, it's located just to the left of the portrait. Now, some of you are thinking, PJ, why are you going through all this? I don't know, why is this relevant? Here's why I'm saying all of this, because, you know, just as those who are trained to handle money are trained to be able to tell the difference between a fake bill and a real bill, again, because they're learning to compare what could be a phony to the truth, um, it's important for you and I to understand that as, as people who have received truth and we continually receive God's truth, that we be aware of the fact that we live in a day and time and it's not just unique to our time, this has been since the beginning that the enemy is always um, had the, the enemy always exerts his effort to try to um, to try to distort the truth by by taking what what is true and 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 diluting it or polluting it and presenting it as truth. But on the but but when you go deeper than the surface, it's really a lie. And and many times when we only rely on what we see on the surface and we're not willing to dig deeper or go deeper in the truth. It can be very easy to see something that appears right on the surface, but unless you dig deeper, you will never know that it's misleading. So the scripture we're going to focus on for this series, we're going to see the Apostle Jude write to the church, and he's addressing this issue of identifying the difference between a truth and a lie as it relates to specifically the gospel. Because what's happening here is that you have a situation where a group of followers, or a group of people who claim to be followers of Christ, had somehow infiltrated the church and were now peddling distortions to the gospel. 
and the people that were already part of these churches didn't necessarily understand uh, that there was a difference between what these individuals were peddling and what they had been taught when they came to faith in Christ. And as a result, many of them were being misled. And so when Jude found out what was happening, Jude stepped up and said, No, guys, you need to understand that there is so much more, something that this gospel, um, the, the depth of this gospel is so rich that we must, be, we must be willing to go deep so that we're not easily fooled by the surface uh, deception that the enemy seeks to bring in our lives. And so I want you to turn with me to Jude chapter 1. And we're going to focus specifically today on verse 1 to verse 3. I mean, excuse me, verse 4. Because in it, we're going to see Jude make this case for why you and I, as followers of Christ, are, have been tasked with the responsibility of being guardians of the truth. Again, it's easy to say, well, it's the pastor's responsibility to guard the truth. It is the minister or the evangelist's responsibility. No, friends, it is our responsibility. Because as we're going to see in Scripture, the Bible says that you and I have been entrusted with this gospel. When we experienced this gospel that changed our lives, we became, we became, as it were, stewards of this message that has changed our lives so that we can also now take this same message and see other lives changed as we share with others. So it's not just the responsibility of a select few, it is our responsibility to be guardians of the truth. So beginning in verse 1, here's what Jude says, and he introduces himself beginning in verse 1 saying, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy and peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord, of our God, into a license for immorality. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So Jude describes uh, in his letter to the, the church, uh, we're not exactly sure what location he's writing to. There's some historians that speculate he was writing to Christians in Syria. Um, others that speculate he was writing to believers in other parts of the world. But regardless, the principles we see him cover apply to all of us, regardless of time or location. But we see Jude describe... A group of ill-motivated individuals who have made their way into the community of faith. And he says that they, they've, they've, they've done several things. One, he says they've won the goodwill of the believers in order to corrupt rather than to assimilate. He says that they do not share the disciples' devotion to Christ. He says that these individuals have sought after God's grace as a means to excuse themselves to live in open and rebellious sin. And, and finally, he says they care little about the impact that their false witnesses have on Christ's reputation and their mission for making disciples. I would encourage you, read the book of Jude. Again, like I said, it's just one chapter, but it's a loaded chapter. And in that chapter, you're going to see James, uh, Jude sorry, um, make the case for why you know, he says what he says in verse 3. Contend for your faith. Contend for the truth that's been entrusted to you. Again, because Jude wanted the believers to understand that in the midst where those who were more like wolves in sheep's clothing and, and, and because, because of the effect of, 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 their, of their involvement within the congregation, Jude said that there's, there's certain things about you that you need to be concerned about. Number one, we, we discovered about the, the, this body of believers that they were lacking the discernment. Part of the reason why you know, distortion was able to 
um, take root among them was because they lacked discernment. Um, part of the reason why distort, distortion was able to take root among them was because they were complacent to the impact of distorted teaching. Again, you know, not, not necessarily being willing to, as Paul in a, in a different book he wrote, refers to a group called the Bereans who he said, didn't just take him at his word, that whatever he said, they went back and they cross-referenced what he said with the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was teaching them was consistent with what the Bible stands for. And where there was this, where, the, where there was where there was inconsistencies, or where they would they would find inconsistencies, Paul says, "Call me out on them." So Paul's desire was not for people to just simply just eat everything he says, but to be willing to go back themselves and study God's word. So the the problem with the the, the believers here was that not only did they lack discernment in being able to tell the difference between what was a lie and what was truth. But they were complacent to the impact of this bad seed that had been sown among them. And so as a result, the scripture says that they were easily carried away by mere outward appearance and so vulnerable to divisiveness. And so in writing, Jude seeks to accomplish two things. Number one, to bring awareness to the danger among them and to remind them of the call of God in their lives. But then to equip them to identify, reject and to turn back Satan's attempts at undermining God's work in and through every one of his followers. And that's the reality. Here's the thing, friends. What was true for them then is true for us today. Just as there, there existed distortions and, and misinterpretations of the gospel, of God's word or God's position back then, it exists today. And just as the believers then needed to be equipped to know how to identify truth from lie, so that they could be able to turn back Satan's efforts at trying to undermine God's work in their lives and through their lives. We need today, friends, to be equipped to know the difference between what is truth from what is a lie so that we will not allow Satan to undermine what God is doing in yours and my life and what he wants to do through us. This is what I love about this. is why I love the scripture so much because it is not, it is not teaching for an era or for a time that is distant or disconnected from us. God's word is living and it is powerful and it speaks to us today as it did many, many, many years ago. Again, our focus today is on this idea that God has called every one of us to the task of, um, of, of preserving the purity of our faith. And the way that we preserve the purity of our faith, friends, is that we ourselves must be, um, we, we must go beyond a shallow experience of our Christian walk. We must go beyond a shallow awareness or understanding of the truth of found in God's word. We must be students. Everybody say students. We must be students of God's word. What, what does that mean? Somebody who desires to learn, who desires to grow in their knowledge and understanding of what God's word says and how we're to apply it to our lives. Again, when we did this series that we just concluded on discernment and how we developed discernment, that was part of the goal is to help us to understand that, that there is deception out there. I mean, we, we, you know, if, if, we, if we want to say, well, let's wait to, uh, you know, let's just have a world where there is no deception. You're going to be waiting for a long time. What's better is that we're equipped to deal with the deception so that we don't fall to the deception. And so this morning, I want to quickly share with you in just these next few minutes, uh, several ways that the scriptures show us, or in the verses that we just read, that we are able to, as it were, preserve the purity of our faith, as is the calling of every one of us as followers of Christ. The first one we discover is this, we need to remember the reason for the hope that we placed in Jesus Christ. You know, when you, in Revelation, Jesus talked about this in, in, in his letters to in one of the, the letters that was written to the seven churches. He talked about remembering your first love. It's this idea that 
that when you, when you think back to what led you, what made you embrace Christ as Savior and Lord, it is important that we remember because it is human nature. We forget. We lose track. We begin to take things for granted. We begin to assume or we expect things to just happen without any effort or apply to those things. But it is important for us if we are to be guardians of this truth that we've been, we've been entrusted with, this truth that has changed your life and it has changed my life, that we go back and remember, why did I place my hope in Jesus Christ to begin with? In verse 3, Jude says, Dear friends, even though I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted. That word is important. Because salvation is not an is not experience that we just simply receive and then we, and then we move on to other things. We've been, we've been entrusted with something that is powerful. A message that, that, is, that, is, that is brought us to faith in Christ. A message that is changing our lives. A message that has the potential to change other people's lives. And it is a sacred trust. Again, this is why I say to you that this is not just an assignment for those who hold official office within, within church. It is all of our calling. Because we've all experienced this gospel. We could, we could just as well be like Paul when he says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. We can all say the same because we've experienced this power, this power, this gospel to change lives. So Paul, so, so Jude is saying we must, we must recognize that this gospel that we've been, we've been called to defend is one we've been entrusted with. It's meant to be a part of our lives. Not just something that we just stand by or associate with. It is part of who we are. This is why I love what Paul says in, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12. He says to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. And how do we do that? How do we fight the good fight of the faith? In fact, pull back for a second. Why would he, even, why would he use the word fight? He uses the word fight to, 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 to illustrate this idea that, that this Christian walk is not a pleasant walk. It is a walk that calls for sacrifice. It is a walk that calls for surrender. It is a walk that calls for, for denying ourselves. So we take up our cross to follow him. It is not easy. And all along the way, there will always be invitations to put the cross down. There will always be a temptation to, to, to go about it your own way, to do, to, to do it the way you think, to wait. It doesn't involve sacrifice or, or giving up what you desire to, just to follow Christ. The reality is, is that this fight of faith, is a, this, this walk of faith is a fight. It is a daily struggle. And Paul says we must take hold of the eternal life to which we were called when we made our good confession in the presence of many witnesses. One of the things that I want to challenge us to consider is this. God isn't interested in us simply being religious for the sake of being religious. He invites us into a relationship. And it's a relationship that's meant to change our lives. It's meant to change our outlook on life. How we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see God. And the idea is that as we are growing in our faith, as we are growing to become more and more like Christ, that we recognize that, that we have a burden we have a, an, an opportunity to share this message that has changed our lives with others around us. Again, I think about that, that story in the, in the Old Testament of, 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 of the, the Lord delivering the, the nation of Israel from their enemies. And the scripture says that, that these, these, these lepers who had themselves been kicked out of the city because of their illness came upon this empty camp and they found food and, and jewelry and, and all of the spoils of war and, and they began to just enjoy themselves and just eat and be merry and then they realized guys this cannot we, we cannot do this because while we are here celebrating there's a city behind us of people who are literally dying and these men felt an obligation 
to take that message that had changed their lives to those who are, who are struggling. If the, the more, I believe that the more we, we, we look back at, at, at the reason we gave our lives to Christ and, 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 and why we have placed our hope in Jesus and, and the confidence that, that comes from knowing that we are in right relationship with God, that it will compel us to not be flippant when it comes to our faith, to not just, to not just look for religious experiences, but to really say, God, change my life and, and help me to truly live for you in a way that brings glory to your name. We must remember the reason for the hope we've placed in Christ. But here's the other thing. We need to be sure, friends, that our worldview is built on a biblical foundation. In verse 4, Jude says, Certain individuals whose condemnation has been written about long ago have secretly slipped among you. And he uses different words to describe it. He says they are ungodly. And the way that they express their ungodliness is to pervert the grace of our Lord, of our God, into a license. In other words, he says that they are using this excuse of we've been saved from sin to now justify them living in continuous sin. But here's the other thing that Jude says, that in doing so, here's what's happening. They are denying. They are denying Christ. Now, if I was to walk up to the average person that claims to be a Christian and say to them, would you deny Jesus? Everyone one of them would probably say no. And yet here's the reality. According to what Jude is saying, when we take the truth and we distort it, or we take the truth and we pervert it as a license to live the way we should not live, we are denying we are denying the one who stands by the truth that we have distorted. We cannot claim to live for God and then we live against his will. Jesus says you, you can only have one master. You can't serve two masters. In choosing one, you will, you will turn your back on the other. So here's the reality. Our worldview, what we, when I think of worldview, I think of, I think of how we, our perspective of life, how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us. It must be built on a biblical foundation. There are too many believers whose worldview is based on the world, is being shaped by the world's thinking, where, where we are willing to embrace and adopt and, and accept things that we should never accept. And, it, 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 and, and I, you know, I've had many conversations with folks about this. It's not an issue of not being tolerant. Truth is truth. And, and if, if, if we're going to stand by truth, then we must allow our lives to be defined by it and be willing to allow that truth to change us. But we cannot compromise on truth and we must not be ashamed to stand up for truth listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2 8 and I love this because as soon as he said I read this I thought to myself Paul is Paul is Paul is speaking truth right here in verse 8 he says see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, do not let the world rent space in your head. Do not let the world rent space in your heart. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you were committing yourself to him. You were committing yourself to follow him, to follow his lead, to allow him to help you become more and more like him. But if you're following the world, how can you become more like Christ if you're following the world? How can you walk with the mind of Christ if you're being defined by the, by, the, by the way the world thinks? We must not allow deceptive philosophies to hold us captive. This is what Jesus is trying to say to the believers. Contend for your faith. Because the people who have slipped in the monkey and they're distorting the truth that you first put your faith in. And they're causing your worldview, your view of each other, your view of the world, your view of God to be distorted. 
And if it is a story that you can't respond to God as you're supposed to, I've, when, I, when, I was, when I was a youth pastor for many years, I would tell young people, if, if you have a wrong view of God, your response to Him will be wrong. There is no way that you see God other than who He is, and you're going to respond to Him the way you should. Our worldview has to be defined by the Word, or else the God we, call, the, the God we serve is not the God we should be serving. Our worldview must be based on what the Scriptures teach. And it is important for us as guardians of this truth that we've been entrusted with to ourselves, make sure that what we believe, why we believe it, is based on what the Word of God teaches. And here's the last point. We must be God's instruments to encourage faithfulness to Christ and others. In verse 3, notice, Paul at Jude uses this phrase, I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share. He, he, made, he, he, made, he made the point that this, this thing called salvation is a, is a corporate experience. Yes, when I came to faith in Christ, it wasn't a decision I made to follow Jesus. And, and, and it's a decision that covers my brother or my sister. Every one of us has to choose to follow Jesus ourselves, yes? You know, so, you know, parents, I would say to you, you know, your, your kids are not going to heaven because you follow Jesus. Nor are, are you going to heaven because your kids follow Jesus. Every one of us has an individual response to the Lord, to an invitation to follow Christ. But it is, a, it is an experience we all share. Because, because we, 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 we all didn't have to, we all didn't, didn't, didn't take different routes to meet God. What do I mean by that? The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except He comes through me. So it's not that I came through Christ and somebody else came through something else or someone else. We all came through Christ to know Christ. And, and so we, we share this, this, this experience called salvation. And, and, and in sharing this, there's a responsibility to realize that we, have a, we, we must encourage each other. Not just to embrace Christ, but to keep walking with Christ. That's why I love opportunities for Bible studies. Because, because we get to study God's word together, we get to encourage each other, we get to fellowship, we get to talk about how faith intersects life and, 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 and we can be vulnerable with each other and, and admit I struggle in this area and, and this is an area of weakness in my life and, and you can be confident that, that folks are not going to be talking about you behind your back and saying, well, I thought, I thought, I thought they were a strong aggression, well, I guess they're struggling, <laughs> well, that's their business. No, that, that we come alongside each other, why? Because we are committed to seeing each other grow, just as we are committed, well, we hope others will be committed to see us grow. I want to see you walk faithfully before God. And I pray for that. Because I know that they're, they're in any given situation, the enemy will try to set you up to walk in unfaithfulness. And I would hope that you're praying for me as well. And, they, and that we're praying for each other. We must be instruments that God will use to encourage faithfulness to Christ. And this is why Jude was trying to say to them, Guys, the enemy has infiltrated your camp. Not only do you need to be careful of what you are allowing to come into your heart, but you need to look out for each other as well. Because you share this experience called salvation. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back for us, friends. And while we are looking forward to his return, it could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, it doesn't matter when it's going to happen. But the reality is, is that rather than wonder when it's going to happen, what we should be doing is focusing on what he's asked us to do in the here and now, which is what? That we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we are seeking him with all of our hearts, soul, mind and strength to know him 
but that we're also encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. That we're praying for each other, we're encouraging each other, we're supporting each other. That when a brother or sister is walking in a direction that we know is not gonna be is not God's will for their lives because it is a contradiction of God's will, that we don't look turn it away and go, oh, I hope Pastor will get to him. Well, I, I, well, I hope that I hope you know, teacher so and so is going to talk to them. No, that we because we love them and we are committed to seeing them grow in their relationship with Christ. That we say, God, use me to encourage my brother or sister, not in judgment, not not to not to make them feel bad or to elevate ourselves, but because we are called to encourage each other. This is how we are called to preserve the purity of our faith. And when we do so, realize that the enemy cannot infiltrate and come in and try to divide when he finds a body that is united, when he finds a body that is committed to each other, when the enemy cannot come in and try to, try to sow division, by, by causing us to see, to see ourselves as separate from one another. But, but, but instead, that, that when, we, when we remember that, that we are called to preserve the purity of this gospel, that we recognize that we have a responsibility to take care of each other, and that we look out for each other, we pray for one another, we support each other, because we want, we want everyone to, be, to, be, to, to walk in faithfulness to God. That's what it means. And so, as, as over these next several weeks, we're going to break down Jude's, Jude's letter, because I believe that in it we're going to find very helpful tips on how we are to defend our faith and I really feel like we especially with everything that's going on in our culture today we need this now more than ever before we need to encourage each other we need to stand for what is truth and we need to do it together because the day is approaching Jesus is coming back and we have a task and, and God willing as we are faithful that God would allow us to, to accomplish great things for his namesake. Why? Because we're committed to defending the faith he's entrusted to us. So again, I say to you this morning, remember why you placed your hope in Christ. Remember. You didn't just simply accept Jesus because you uh, wanted to miss hell. You accepted Jesus because you wanted to experience the life that he, he can only, he can only make, make happen in this life. Remember why you placed your hope in Christ. Build your worldview on a biblical foundation and let God use you to encourage others. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the danger of unrepentant sin and how the Holy Spirit empowers you and I to bring our sinful appetites and desires under the authority and the control of the Holy Spirit. But today, we're just going to respond simply to the invitation that I believe God has placed on all of our lives to preserve the purity of this gospel. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning as we pray. I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. I'm reminded of the great price that Christ paid to secure my forgiveness. I'm reminded of the difference that knowing Christ has made on my own life and the difference that I know He has definitely made on your life as well. And as I take in all of this, it brings to bear on my mind and heart this morning the reality that sin, sin is always about distorting what is God's will, what is God's best, what is God's perfect plan for our lives, and how many today are, are still living in deception because they've bought into 
they've embraced and accepted a, a mindset or a view that is not consistent with what the scripture teaches. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would know truth, we would walk in truth, so that we would experience the freedom that God can make happen because we're walking in His truth. And that as He reminds us of what we've experienced through knowing Jesus, that God would impress upon our hearts the importance of also being channels through which others might be encouraged to not only know Christ, but to walk with Him faithfully as well. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. The words of the Apostle Jude, Lord, those words are just as relevant today as they were the first day they were written. Because we need to be reminded, Lord, that there's an enemy who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for whom he might devour. And God, it would be wanting if the enemy Father left, simply left believers alone. But the enemy comes after, after believers all the more to discredit you. And God, we must not be naive to the enemy's schemes and the fact that the enemy would seek to bring, bring distortion, to, to, to distract, to, 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 to point us in the wrong direction, God, as it, as it relates to how we respond to you. God, thank you for your word that reminds us, Lord, that we must be discerning and we must open our eyes and we must, we, we, must, we, must, we, must, we must embrace the call you placed on our lives to preserve truth, Father. And that, God, you would enable us, Lord, to be, Father God, the church you've called us to be and to have the impact you've called us to have. God, I pray this morning you would help every one of us here today. God, we don't, we, don't, we don't know it all. We don't understand it all, Father. We have not experienced it all. God, we need you. We need you desperately. We need you today more than we did yesterday, God. We need you in every moment, Father, to help us, Lord, to, Father, walk in discernment, to walk uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, so that we might respond, God, to the, the, the schemes of the enemy around us, Lord, and we might not fall prey. God, I pray that you help us, Lord, to, to embrace this call wholeheartedly, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you remind us, Lord, of that salvation experience, God, when we, choose to, when we chose to follow you, God, and, and what it meant, Father, remind us again, God, why we've placed our hope in you. God, give us a burden, God, for those around us, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Lord, to not seek to be lone, lone rangers in this Christian walk, but help us, Lord, to seek to, to link arms, to lock arms and hearts together and to support one another and to encourage one another. God, help us, Lord, to collectively and as individuals, Father, be students of your word so that, Lord, we have the mind of Christ and, God, we're able to walk in the will of Christ. God, I pray for everyone that's here today. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to look to you, God, and to lean on you and to depend on you and to trust in you, God, for everything that we would need to, to walk this, this, this walk of faith with you. And God, as we do so, God, may, may our lives continue to experience, Lord, the power of, of this gospel. And may it be evident to all around us, Lord, that knowing Jesus is the most important decision that we can ever, ever, ever make. And God, I pray if there's anyone that's here today that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, thank you, God, that throughout today, God, I believe you've been speaking to them by the Holy Spirit. 
impressing upon their heart the need, Father God, for them to know you, not just know about you, but to know you, to know you personally, to recognize that when you sent your son to die on the cross, you sent him to die for their sins, so that God, nothing, Father God, would keep them from being able to have fellowship with you again, God. Thank you. Thank you that God, when we call on your name, Father, when we acknowledge that God, there's nothing that we can do, no effort that we can put or exert, Father, is enough, Father God, to satisfy your righteous requirement, but that what Christ did on the cross is sufficient, and we put our full trust and faith in Jesus' finished work, and we embrace the new life he offers, and we allow the Holy Spirit to live in us and to live through us, Lord, we can truly live the life you called us to live. God, I pray for women that may be today, God whose desire, God, is to walk with you, to know you. God, thank you. Thank you for bringing them to this point of salvation. Thank you, God, that you respond to them, Father, as they cry to you in faith, saying, God, forgive me, have mercy on me, God, change my life. I want to know you, I want to live for you. That, God, indeed today, your word will be true, that those that call on your name will be saved. And again, God, I thank you for the opportunity that you give all of us, Lord, to respond to you every single day as you lead us by the Holy Spirit. Continue to do so, God, for your glory and for our, for our benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.